Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Yep. That'd be uh, moi. Welcome to September 27th, the waning days of September 2021. Uh, it is a Monday. There is no joy in Mudville. I'm putting that out there for the Steelers fans. Uh, it's going to be a long season, guys. I suggest you pace yourself. <laughs> that's, that's all I got to say. <laughs> oh, I'm not laughing. I'm, I mean, I'm not. It, things that appear to be laughter often these days are sort of this, you know, chortling past the graveyard. I think I mixed a few metaphors there or made up a new one. Uh, dear God in heaven, I have to tell you, um, when I talk to friends or family, even if we try to keep it on a, you know, relatively easygoing kind of jocular, let's not talk about anything heavy mode, we invariably end up falling into despair. Uh, and I I don't know how we're going. It, it's hard to deal with reality right now, which might be the reason so many of our country men have opted uh, not to and to live in a in an alternative reality that I don't know makes them feel better or is more comprehensible to them or thrills them, gives them a sense of I don't know victimhood. I don't know. I have no idea, and I don't think many people do. And whenever you start parsing it and arriving at something that feels like uh, solid footing. You end up in a in a not good place. I'm sorry. There's no way of looking at reality as it presents itself in this moment and not be despairing. And that's if you're looking with clear eyes. What's interesting is that there's a lot of people with this alternative reality that are looking at their alternative reality, and they are despairing too. But they're despairing over over things that aren't real, like that an election was stolen from them, that uh, public health officials are intent on killing them with a, a vaccine. Um, it's 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 just so. Odd. I feel like I'm in a, you know, in Crazyville, and I am, and so are you. And I, I, I have no ability to uh, make light of any of this. It's why I cannot any longer watch shows that are supposedly based about news on news, but that are also intended to be funny 
all those late night kinds of shows and Saturday Night Live because there's sorry there's nothing there's nothing funny going on here nothing there is the um, this queasy feeling that we are living in a failing country and it's shocking and it's hard to come to terms with because it runs so so counter to everything we ever thought we knew or understood but i have i have little doubt that we're living in a failing country now maybe there's and i was saying this to my brother yesterday this little sliver of hope I hold out, hold on to, maybe there's a chance to save ourselves. But I really, quite frankly, don't, don't see it happening when we have such a large percentage of the population that has been brainwashed by a large, powerful, right-wing media and the political party that has embraced uh, its anti-democratic tendencies. That would, of course, be the Republicans. And I, I just, I'm sorry, guys. I, I, I don't, I, I don't see uh, any positives. I came upon here. I said I don't laugh. Well, it, I came upon a uh, quote that I can't remember which which pundit type, which opinion writer uh, noted it. Uh, oh, I believe it was the more conservative Brett Stevens, but it's a it's a proper quote for now. Uh, it's a quote from uh, Huckleberry Finn, that most American of novels. And in it, Huck says, ain't we got all the fools in town on our side? And ain't that a big enough majority in any town? And that, Brett Stevens suggested, sort of summarizes uh, the Republican Party's political strategy. We got all the dumb people, and they they are a majority in most towns. <laughs> they might be, but they're you know not a majority in the cities. Ain't we got all the fools on our side? And ain't that a big enough majority? In any town, well, it's starting to look like it. Starting to look like it. So speaking of the fools, you have the that, that Arizona audit that just, you know, finally is finished. And uh, their report came out. And it's, it's just astonishing. 
show these guys playing. This is the Republican Party in Arizona making up these rules to show that their state's election had been through fraud uh, stolen, thus elevating Joe Biden to a presidency he did not win. And, you know, they were at this for how long? And, 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 and you know, looking for what was it they were looking for? Um, uh, splinters of bamboo that might have come from China. And I mean, it was like total crazyville stuff. And they they the ninja, whatever they are, uh, that supposedly were doing the audit. This was all it was clear that they knew what the result would be. And they just had to show how they got there and they couldn't do it. And and former Repub no former attorney general of Arizona, who is a Republican. Uh, he went ballistic and said this. First of all, he called the cyber it's cyber ninjas, right? The guys who were doing the audit. He called them a bunch of grifters, which is true. And that's what the Republican Party, that's a huge part of what composes the Republican Party now. Because the Republican Party is the Trump Party, and he is the greatest grifter of all time. He will – I mean he pulled it off. He's going to go down in history as the greatest small-time grifter who managed somehow. You can't make it up to become the most powerful man in the world. <laughs> even to his astonishment. And this former attorney general of Arizona said this about his own party. They brought in the clown show and even the clowns couldn't rig it so that the numbers would change. They could just come up with a bunch of mumbo jumbo to continue to cast doubt on our elections and our processes. There's a group of people, these cyber ninjas and their ilk, they're grifters. And they find a home in Trump world because there are a lot of grifters there. And then you have the dummies who are always willing to be susceptible. Now, that's a former Republican attorney general. And then he says what is the truth and why I feel such despair. He says, and the biggest picture Part of the irony here from these so-called true blue, red, white, and blue Americans is that it's always been the goal of Russia and of our enemies who couldn't defeat us in any other way. They wanted us to fall from within when we as a people no longer had confidence 
in our democratic institutions. And there's what they've done. It doesn't really matter that the Arizona audit ended by saying, you know what? Trump lost. Because that was, that was gonna, there's no way that that fact changes. But for these easily led and, and now really thoroughly brainwashed people in our country, it doesn't matter because what's been done has been the destruction of trust in our country, in our government. And when that happens in a democracy, it's over, which is why I am saying we live in a failing state. It's over. The trust at almost every level. And I was thinking last night, you know, where this, to me, in my head, I don't know if historians will back me up, where this started, it's always been with the Republican Party because they never believed in government. And so if you get a party that tells you in no uncertain terms that government is the problem, that government is not there to help you, it's there to mess you up. That's what Ronald Reagan said famously, right? The, those frightening words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. That Ronald Reagan, the beloved conservative Republican president. So there's the beginnings of leading Republicans and a whole bunch of Americans into thinking that government is the problem. And once you got that pretty well solidified, which Republicans, I honestly believe, it's odd how they so want the power of government, but they don't believe in government. They famously want the power to shrink government so they can drown it in a bathtub. Or, which strikes me as having happened, they've shrunk government so that it can take up residence in every American woman's uterus. <laughs> God. But we got all the fools. There was a horrific story. All the stories are horrific. Uh, in the New York Times two weeks ago, I think, about uh, the state of uh, schools in rural America. And they're, I mean, those poor children who happen to have to go to those schools, they ain't learning anything much. Nothing. But this, again, Republicans have starved 
funding for education, public education, because Republicans do. I mean, everything you look at with them starts to form a very clear picture that they want a stupid electorate that can be easily led and bamboozled. That everything they actually actively do is to harm us. But give them power. It's the grifter party. And, you know, with now Fox News and Sinclair News and these other networks and all the right-wing pundits and our regular media who are still acting as if nothing particularly different is going on here. So there's always two sides to every story. And words, simple words like lie are are not used but uh you know little uh what do they say for lies a misstatement or I, I, they they fudge it they don't tell the truth you know i think the biggest story in the last um since january 6 that came out recently was the uncovering of this memo uh written by a guy named john eastman He's a big mucky muck in that Federalist Society that has done to the Supreme Court what you now see. They're the ones who vetted all those judges that Trump, they told Trump what judges to put in the federal judiciary. That's those guys. They're anti-democratic. And this Eastman, who is very much a part of them and powerful with them, drew up an actual memo telling Mike Pence step by step how to steal the election on January 6th. You know, there was a meeting the on January 5th at Trump's hotel. And I think this guy Eastman was there. I know Steve Bannon was there. A whole bunch of others were there, congressmen, big guys. And they were sort of finalizing the details of what was going to happen tomorrow, the 6th. The memo clearly spells out how to not allow the votes of the American people to be counted on that day. The pressure Pence was under was enormous. We now know from Woodward's latest book that Trump said to him as the eloquent Trump would, you can either go down in history as a patriot or you can go down in history as a pussy. That's what he said to Pence. And Eastman, who drew up, if you haven't looked at that memo, you need to look at the memo. It is a step-by-step of how they told Pence to handle this 
counting of the electoral votes, how he was to pause at Arizona and suggest that he had a different slate. He had more than one slate of electors, so he wasn't sure, so let's skip Arizona. And by the time he got to the end, he will have skipped Pennsylvania as well and Michigan and all of the states they say fraudulently gave their electors to Biden. They had laid out how to stage a coup. It's in writing. Do you know that NBC, CBS, ABC, Network News did not cover this? The biggest story of the year. These people, this is treason. <laughs> this is treason. Is it not or have I lost my mind? I mean, this thing was amazing. Pence was to make the announcement that with these states, Arizona, Pennsylvania, and all these other states, uh, we have no electors from them that we can ver validate because we've got this confusion. And so uh, we will not be counting those votes. And thus, Donald Trump wins. Eastman, by the way, addressed the rally that later turned into the mob that breached the Capitol. Eastman, before Trump spoke, spoke. And here's some of what he said. We know there was fraud. We know that dead people voted. All we're demanding of Vice President Pence is this afternoon at one o'clock, he let the legislatures of the states look into this so we can get to the bottom of it and the American people know whether we have control of the direction of our government or not. He was teeing this up so that when, so that Pence would feel more pressure to do what he was ordered to do. Do you remember hearing that they tried to get Pence out of the Capitol? They put him in a safe place, but then they said, we want to get you out of here. And he wouldn't go. He refused to go, even though he was there with his wife and his daughter, I guess. And my guess is he wouldn't go because he now didn't trust the people who said they were there to save him. And it is amazing that we know all of this now and there have been no consequences. None, except for, the, of course, the little guys, the idiots in the mob. They're starting to face consequences. but. 
Eastman, Trump, all the others, the ones who went Fox News, the ones that instigated it, created the atmosphere, did the brainwashing. Any consequences there? I don't think so. Extraordinary. At this point, the only hope is this uh, congressional investigation. And my understanding is, is they have, well, if they don't show, they're going to subpoena Steve Bannon and I believe Eastman and some of the others that were at the January 5th meeting at the Trump Hotel. Amazing. All right. You know, that Yeats poem that when did I first start reading that every once in a while? It was like maybe four years ago or five years ago. I started to feel like we were getting into such dangerous, dangerous territory. And I went back and read it again. And man, it so speaks it so speaks to the uh, reality of these times. It's frightening. Okay, what do we got here? I'm sorry, I had a caller and I didn't see that I did because I was in full rant. Do we have a, is there a caller there now? Or did they hang up? Hello? I guess I hung up. Okay. Um, what was it? The, the, one of the lines, and now I'm trying to find it. The best lack all conviction. Why is it the worst are filled with pas- passionate intensity? That's not quite it. That's not Yates. That's me mucking them up. Uh, but it's so true. The passionate intensity of the folks who are taking us down and they think they're saving us. And let's also be clear that this is on the Republicans and corporatized media and it's on pointing fingers it's on a lot of people if you follow the thread what you get back to is white supremacy i'm sorry that's what made these people susceptible to all of these lies in this sense that they were losing their country what made them so susceptible to that and what was the way that donald trump achieved the White House, and the Republicans happily uh, went along with him. It was racist stuff. He started his campaign with talking about these brown marauders, invaders, bringing disease and death. And 
And then this was the reaction to eight years of a black president and of the demographic growth that was going against the white folks. And so you just apparently the other day, Tucker Carlson on Fox News actually flat out, flat out said what the what the racists in Charlottesville chanted. He flat out said that this is a replacement that's attempting to go on, that the Democrats are attempting to replace. Remember the chant, the Jews will not replace us. The Jews will not replace us. I, I, I was so confused when I heard that. And then I was schooled in understanding that the Jews, this is why those wonderful people died over at Tree of Life. Because somebody swallowed this thing about the Jews were the ones financing these brown invaders crossing our border. And they were intent on taking over. And now you have Tucker Carlson essentially saying, yep, that is, that's what's happening. The Anti-Defamation League called for him to be taken off the air, yada, yada, yada. Matt Gates has called the Anti-Defamation League now racist. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Fox News is an all-on, uh, you know, sort of uh, anti-democratic, fascistic, white nationalist, uh, white supremacist outlet that you know, still maintains a level of respectability that is beyond comprehension. Then, I mean, this is why I, I'm just trying, I mean, surely you're pretty much where I am with this, I'm assuming, I'm assuming. But when we get to, you know, ain't we got all the fools in town on our side? Back to Mark Twain and the wise words of Huckleberry Finn. Well, those fools, and I, now I'm going to, you know, segue into COVID. Uh, new uh, poison control centers all over the country, but mostly in the West and in the South, have been overwhelmed by people calling who have ingested ivermectin. Okay. The state of New Mexico reported the other day that two people had died from ingesting ivermectin. One was 38 years old and one was 79. And they both did have COVID, but that's not what they died of. Doctors attributed their deaths to the ingestion, ingestion of ivermectin. Ain't we got all the fools? Well, Huck, I think you're right. And then I see, I mean, it's not like we don't know this. You know, there are other places that are not this insane, that are not failing states right now, other democracies. 
generally they're what I would call social democracy. So they have, you know, a strong, unlike us, you know, they like uh, Denmark, uh, you give you Denmark. Okay. Uh, the government of Denmark has, has proclaimed that the, that COVID is no longer a critical threat in their country. Uh, and it isn't. They've lifted mask requirements, even for indoor activities. Uh, they've told people to get on with your life. And the difference is their people got vaccinated. It's as simple as that. Close to 90% of Danes are fully vaccinated. And that could be us. If 90% of Americans were fully vaccinated, we'd be living our normal lives too. But we got all the fools on our side. And the editor of The Week magazine said it, it really comes down to trust. The Danes trust their national government's uh, authority on these public health matters. And so they when told to get vaccinated. They got vaccinated. But who do Americans trust? I mean, uh, 90% of Americans, nothing, nothing. And consequently, it is quite possible and perhaps likely, unfortunately, that we will add this winter another 100,000 dead to our already grim total of 675,000 Americans dead from this plague. And you can figure what the percentage of those 675,000 are that needn't have died, that would still be living their lives if we had a country in which the people were not fools and where trust had not been eroded, cynically, year after year after year, eroded by a Republican Party that figured this was their way to power. A democracy, a society, a nation cannot function without a basic level of trust. But we got all the fools in the face of overwhelming evidence, tens of millions of our people continue to believe that the 2020 election was stolen <laughs> and that these life-saving vaccines that have been administered all over the globe are somehow dangerous and experimental. 
And it's astonishing how many people are willing to put their lives at risk, total risk. And they're dying, as we know. To show their contempt for government. That's how smart these guys are. They're willing to die to prove how stupid they are. Oh, and I know, I know, this is not going to help get through to them so that they'll get vaccinated. There is no getting through to them, okay? I read something today that said, that inc- I think it was in the New York Times, that increasingly, if you look at the numbers, every county that voted overwhelmingly for Donald Trump, 70% or more to Donald Trump, they are dying from COVID in those counties at a rate way, way beyond what you're seeing in counties that voted for Joe Biden. So, in other words, the Republicans, and I think some of them are starting to get a little queasy about this, as we know, they're killing off their own voters. I don't follow... uh... Christian uh, radio or media, but I did happen to see this. There is a uh, group called the National Religious Broadcasters. That would be the umbrella organization for all of these uh, Christian AM radio stations uh, that that if you're in the middle of nowhere and you don't have satellite radio, you end up having to listen to in your car. And the guy who has served as the spokes uh, spokesperson for the National Religious Broadcasters Association, a guy named Daniel Darling, actually wrote an op-ed in USA Today about his decision to get the vaccine. And guess what? He was fired. He was fired for insubordination. Because he refused to sign a statement saying that his pro-vaccine messaging was tantamount to insubordination. He refused to sign, so they said, you're out of here. Goodbye. Gone. He had had the gall to tell this group that has been peddling to their credulous audiences that the vaccine was somehow more unsafe than getting the disease of COVID. And because he had the gall to protect himself and the courage to tell others that he had done so, he's out of a job. Can you imagine? And this is the largest association of Christian communicators. 
And their mission statement, by the way, says that part of their mission is to advocate for the free speech rights of our members. Unless, of course, you're daring to tell them the truth. That'll get you fired. Oh, guys. I normally take uh, refuge in obits, as you know. I want to speak about, not going to deal with the obituary, but I want to speak about what I felt was just a great loss this weekend. I mean, it stunned me when I woke up to see that Dr. Freddie Fu had died. Um, if you knew him, you would understand my reaction because he was the embodiment of life. Of He was always, no matter where you saw him, when you saw him, he was a virtual whirling dervish of energy and positivity, goodness. He was a remarkable man. And I'm not even getting into the fact that of all the lives he changed by through his uh, innovations in orthopedic surgery and his, you know, sports medicine. I mean, he's one of the titans of sports medicine. He rarely slept. He was just going constantly. He operated on me twice. And damn, if he wasn't there when I got, you know, he always, it didn't matter who you were. You could be a, a you know a Olympic athlete, a great ballet dancer, a multi-million dollar a year NFL player. It didn't matter. You could be me, Joe Schmo. When he operated on you, he would be there right when you woke. When I came to, when I woke up, there he was. I could never understand a word he said. That's why I had to laugh when I read something that former uh, Post-Gazette editor David Shribman wrote uh, in a, a love letter to him. Turns out they were very close. had gone to college together at Dartmouth. And Shribman said, you know, Freddie talked so fast. He, everything he did was, he was just like like a hummingbird. He talked so fast, but also he had a strong accent. He was born in Hong Kong. And Shribman said that Freddie was incomprehensible in two languages. <laughs> ah, I laughed out loud. Gone too soon. Gone too soon.
a remarkable man. And he, in his last weeks, made the choice to stop all the treatment he was getting. He had melatonin, I meant melatonin, melanoma, and a um, bleeding kidney. And they were throwing everything they could at him. You got to believe he was getting the most extraordinary care a human could get. So beloved was he in the medical community and the greater community. And he called it off. He said, hey, you're wasting you're wasting resources. Just get me to hospice. I can't believe it. I have not been able to get his death out of my head just because there are some people that just shouldn't be dead. I'm sorry. <laughs> They're too much filled with life. And our astonishing kinds of characters who who make a real, real difference. And Freddie was one of them. He seems so extraordinarily fit. It's just God, I don't know. I can't I can't deal with it. We lost a great one. My friend sent me this today. It was a Washington Post story about uh, Liz Cheney. Uh, Apparently she was on 60 Minutes last night. I didn't watch. And uh, she uh, said that she, well, I'll quote. She was quoted as saying about being against same-sex marriage. I was wrong. I was wrong. Her own sister, of course, was a lesbian and had was married to a, a woman. Even Dick Cheney, the father, got around his politics to embrace same-sex marriage. But Liz couldn't do it. And I suspect she couldn't do it because of you know politics. I don't know. So she's finally come clean. She says, I love my sister very much. I love her family very much. And I was wrong. It's a very personal issue and very personal for my family. I believe my dad was right. And my sister and I have had that conversation. And it turns out that they were estranged for a bit. Things got very, very prickly between them. And those are the only siblings, you know, that they got. Um, But she has now said, I'm just quoting here from this Washington Post article. And then they say that she now is so evolved that she spoke on 60 Minutes about wanting to ensure that transgender people feel safe. Okay. And this is another quote from, from Liz Cheney in regard to transgender people. This is an issue that we have to recognize 
as human beings, we need to work against discrimination of all kinds. We, we were at an event a few nights ago, and there was a young woman who said she doesn't feel safe sometimes because she's transgender, and nobody should feel unsafe. Freedom means freedom for everybody. And then there's one more sentence, one that constitutes the last paragraph of the story. Okay, so this is after she says, that no one should feel unsafe, that freedom means freedom for everybody. And here's the last sentence of the Washington Post piece. Despite her stated views Sunday, Cheney in February voted against the Equality Act, which would have amended the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to add sexual orientation and gender identity as protected classes. Oh, what? <laughs> oh, what? So you end up reading the story about this wonderful admission and turnaround and growth of Liz Cheney. And then at the bottom, they tell you, uh, but, you know, uh, that's not how she voted. And my friend was just stunned. She said, how does, you know, the headline is Cheney says I was wrong to have opposed same-sex marriage. And then, and it goes all through all that stuff, all her heart-rending quotes about being so wrong. And then you find out, wait a minute, uh, she voted against including a gender uh, sexual orientation on in the Civil Rights Act as a protected class, I thought she said no one should feel unsafe. Now, what does that tell you? Is that bad journalism, as my friend suggested? That's bad journalism. That is like negating the entire story that preceded it. It's confusing. Yeah. So, we're in trouble. Okay, Brooke writes, Lynn, I'm right there with you regarding Dr. Freddie Fu. And you, you know, when I hear of a death like his, I immediately wonder, what chance do I have? I mean, if someone like Freddie Fu can't make it past the age of 70, I should really start living each day like it's my last. I'm really sorry to hear this. He touched so many lives, including some in my own family. Yeah. Well, none of us know. Yeah, we should. It's quite obvious that we should all be living every day like it's our last. It's an easy thing to say and an extraordinarily difficult thing to do. Uh, I'm no good at it. Uh, Freddie was. You know, a lot of times when people die young, I'm always amazed that some, some of the people that seem to die young are people who have done so much. It's like somewhere, somewhere they knew 
they had to move fast. They had to get a lot done. Um, that they weren't going to get as long a a, a st- you know a stint as uh, as many others. I don't know. But man, if you're able to actually live that mantra, live every day as if it were your last, you're living a hell of a good life. Unless you're a total jerk, because a total jerk would live every day as if it were their last by, you know, just debauchery and self-involvement. <laughs> ah, God, I don't know. Three right? So democratic socialism won in Germany. It was a squeaker, though. And they all likely link up with some Green Party for a coalition uh, he wants me to look at the platform they won on. Yeah, and he says that it's Bernie. Bernie could win in Germany. Yeah. Well, we ain't there. We're so far away from there. It's a joke. And then we got these things like the Electoral College that prevents us from ever, I don't know, dear God in heaven. Oh, God. Here's something that made me barf. Senator Charles Grassley of Iowa <clears throat> announced his he's going to run for re-election. <clears throat> he's 88 years old. At what point... Does a person need to say, all right, can I, I got to move on, <clears throat> excuse me, and let someone else have a shot here. He's 88. He would be 95 at the end of that term if he wins, which he will. And, and then I suppose he'd announce that he's going to seek uh, another term. It's another reason our country is calcified as it is. A lot of these old farts holding on. Now, some old farts are better than others, I admit. But he makes our president look like a youngin. <laughs> yeah. He was the one. He was the head of the Judiciary Committee under Trump. He's the one who blocked Barack Obama's nomination of Merrick Garland to the Supreme Court. He's the one who advanced every god-awful Federalist Society judge that Trump nominated to the federal courts. Some people are saying he's running so that there's a little concern about a primary challenge, or this is all just politics. He's running, even if he wins, he very well might step down. And if he stepped down, steps down, he knows that uh, the Republican governor of Iowa will just stick a, another Republican in, but it'll essentially elbow out the any Democrat who's gunning for it. And there is a young 32-year-old uh, woman who 
has been, um, I think she has announced that she would run against him, but it's Iowa. Sorry, I'm, uh, I'm sighing in your ears again. And I haven't even said boo about this is consequential week for the Biden agenda in Congress. But as I told you, I can't look anymore. I just can't. It's too stressful. It's too upsetting. Uh, Let me get Jonathan in here. I met Freddie Fu only once when I did a photo shoot with him. He was as warm and friendly and ego-free as he was brilliant. Yeah, he was just the nicest guy. I loved how we always sung the praises of Pittsburgh to the best of the best all around the world. And he was someone we could always point to with pride and say, he's one of ours. Yeah. Yeah. A truly wonderful and great man. Just filled with life. All right. All right. You have been warned again and again that listening to this show might make you uh, need to be on an antidepressant. I actually recommend it. I, I am on an antidepressant. One can only imagine how dark this show would be if I were not. Good God. Enjoy the beautiful autumnal weather. And uh, don't worry about the Steelers. We got more problems to deal with. But that was to be a distraction and relief and looks like it's not going to be. This is going to be more, more misery. Ah, well. I'm babbling. I'll get off. See you tomorrow. Susan should be joining us. Bye-bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Thursday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.